0: We're going to be looking at a couple of different passages, but as the bulletin mentions, Deuteronomy six is the main passage. So if you want to go ahead and turn there or it'll be up on the screen for if you need it. What do you see as your greatest investment in your child's life? Is it his college fund or getting him on the right sports team so they can earn a scholarship? Is it maybe an apprenticeship if they're inclined towards the trades? Perhaps tutors to gain academic scholarships? Or music, dance, and theatrical lessons? Or as one resource indicated, it might be teaching them how to connect socially and emotionally? Or is it just what most kids say they need, which is love, and the way they spell it is T-I-M-E, time. What do you see as your greatest investment in your child's life? You know, the phrase, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. In other words, what you value and love, you tend to invest your resources there. If you love golf, you're going to spend some time golfing. If, if you love entertainment, you'll be going to the theater and watching plays or to the cinema to watch a movie. If you love music, you're probably going to go to concerts or at least have a device where mega, mega, megabytes have songs downloaded onto them. Most often, you show what you value by how you spend your money and where you spend your time. Let's take a simple evaluation of time. There's 168 hours in a week. If you take 56 of those hours away for sleeping, most of you like to sleep. If you take 50 hours away, and that's probably not as much as many of you happen to work, but just using 50 hours for work, that leaves you with just over 60 hours in a week. That's almost nine hours a day, more on the weekends, but less during the week. How are you investing those 60 hours? What do you do in your downtime? Do you read, watch TV, play games, exercise? How are you investing your time? And more importantly, what example are you giving your children with how you use your time? What are they learning from you? What are you allowing them to do with their time? Or what are you intentionally having them do with their time? Before the children of Israel were about to enter the promised land, Moses reminded them of where they had been and how they had gotten there. And as he did this, he told them what was most important. He drew the proverbial line in the sand. Deuteronomy 30, he says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land. And the Lord your God swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob to give them. He puts a line in the sand and says, there's important matters before us as we enter the promised land. And just before he died, he gave them a little bit more recommendation. He says, Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you go... That you are going over to the Jordan to possess. See, Moses knew that life had choices. And life, in itself, in a sense, was a choice. But not only that, but it had to be taught. This is what our children need most. This is the education they need. That's not to say that college, sports, or entertainment are not valuable. But in the view of eternity, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So Moses gave them the Israelites a simple roadmap for life. And that's what I want us to take a look at today. In the beginning of Deuteronomy, in chapter 6, he reads, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that ye may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that ye may fear the Lord your God. You and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. I want to pause just for a second. I want us to realize he is talking to the people of Israel. In a minute, he specifically addresses parents, but he says... This is a whole body. And as I discuss this and as I talk about parents and what we can do in our homes, some of you as grandparents, and it lists here your sons and your sons' sons. Some of you are helping raise your grandchildren. But I also want to encourage some of you where you're empty nesters and your grandchildren have not come in to move with you, some of you have impact on the children in your life. And some of them are sitting in the chairs next to you or will be in the next hour. You have great impact. He has spoke to them as a body of believers, as the children of Israel. And that is what we are as well. Continuing in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise." You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Then, skipping down to verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. If we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. See, Moses told the people that the most important thing in life is to love the Lord your God. The second most important thing is to teach our children to love the Lord our God. The third most important thing is that we put the things of God in front of our eyes habitually. And I would like to focus on the second commandment in that list today. We are to teach the word of God to our children. Why is that so important? Well, in the text itself, Moses says, when your son asks you in time to come, he knew children are going to ask, why? And what does all of this mean? And How come we have to do it and not Johnny? Well, why don't they have to? And if you don't give them valid answers, they will look for the answer somewhere else. And everyone else is trying to get the attention of your youth. It's a growing concern that the government and other decision makers are stating that parents may not be the best to, uh, to decide what is best for our children. When outside influences are not using godly reasoning, that should be of great concern to us. You might say, well, Hal, I didn't go to Bible college, and and I don't know all those Bible details. I'll let Ariel or the Sunday school teacher or Kevin teach them. You might not have gone to Bible college, but neither did Moses or the Israelites. Most of you did not, yet we need to learn what it means to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind. And then we need to be able to communicate those truths to our children. Moses goes on to say how we teach. He says, Talk about God and His Word when you sit in your house. Now he didn't say in your house. He said when you sit. What do you do when you're sitting in your house? Does your, have, your family have dinner together? One of the things that I heard Shane say that he did when his children his sons were young was that he read to them. Do you read to your children? What do you read? Do you discuss current affairs? What does it look like when you're in your home? When you've come home from a long day, and you sit down, and the kids are around you. What does it look like? Do you ever open the Bible and read together outside of the nativity passage at Christmas time? Most of us do that. But outside of that time, do you ever pull the Bible out and read for your family? Do you ever talk about the papers your kids bring home from Sunday school or junior church? What is it that we discuss when we're sitting at our house or at the dinner table at Applebee's or out when we're camping or whatever it is you do and you happen to find yourself sitting next to your children? One of the things I did when my older children were not so big was I read from Genesis through Judges every verse and shared with them the stories of what God did in people's lives. As I read to them, I was conscientious to not just read a story, but tried to point out what God was doing. How he was being faithful. How he was merciful. How he worked miracles in everyday, ordinary lives. When we talk about Noah and the ark, we talked about what it might have been like to be ridiculed for up to 100 years. And then listen to those same people that ridiculed them, screaming outside the door that God had just shut. We talked about Ehud, one of my favorite characters in the Bible, a left-handed warrior who tricked his way into the audience with the king Eglon and got his knife stuck in his belly because the king was so fat that he couldn't pull the blade out. Kids love that story. The next week and a half, they'll be finding a knife to walk around with their left hand and try and grab people with it. Ehud locked the door and the guards waited a long time to come in and check on him because they thought that the king was indisposed and didn't want to interrupt him. Or another one was the battle of Aaron and Hur holding Moses' hands up because every time they let his hands drop, they started to lose. So they would pull his hands up and Aaron and Hur held his hands and his arms up in the air so they could win. Or a scientific phenomenon. If you study the days of the earth... Creationists have said that the earth is only about six or 7,000 years long, years old. And some of them have gotten to the point where they can prove, in a sense, by the age of the sun and the age of the earth. But for a long time, they couldn't figure out. There was a good 24-hour time frame that they couldn't figure out by the sun. You know, when you look at God's word and you read it verse by verse, you'll come across a story where the sun stood still for about a day. So that Israel could defeat the other army. God has done miraculous things in real human lives. It's not just a story. It's history. See, God's Bibles aren't just stories. They're God's history of proving himself righteous to mankind. Who has been faithful and and we have been unfaithful and unrighteous. They're God's story of love to us. This is something you can do. When you're with your kids sitting at home. Or grandparents when they come to your house. Before we watch that movie. Before we get out the Nintendo. Before we get out the Wii. Let's sit down and read a story from God. Moses then says, when you walk. What activities do you do with your children? Do you play any of the games that they enjoy? I don't know about you. I am not an enthusiast of gaming but I have debated and soon taking my own advice from this message I need to sit down with my son Peter and play a video game with him and let him show me how it works and what to do with it and trust them to tell me and teach me for a change get involved in what they're doing have you ever taken a walk with your kids and noticed as you begin to talk about the world around you they open up a little bit As you share an activity like kayaking or hiking, they talk about their hopes and their fears. When you come alongside your kids in their walk of life, you get to invest truths without having to harp on it like a preaching message. Cherith would have our little ones, when they were younger, stand on a chair and help help her do the dishes and laundry. When they, would have, when they have something to do, do you give them all the answers and tools, or do you guide them and let them find their own answers? Josh McDowell said when his kids asked him questions, he rarely gave them the outright answer. Instead, he led them through questions on how to find the answers themselves. Now, his son Sean is a leading apologetics authority. Why? Because he learned to ask right questions and where to find the answers. As you're walking and living alongside them in the small things, instead of in front of them always teaching, allows warm relationship to grow, because you're joining in life with them, not just talking at them. And as you grow those warm relationships, they'll be more willing to listen to you when life really matters. You can share how you, chose, how you once feared going into the middle school, or were the last one to be picked on for a team. Or the time you got dumped by your boyfriend and how God brought you through it. As you share that journey, you can bring God into life. And as you walk the journey and you learn and you tell them with encouragement, you you bump them into God with that relationship so that they still come to you for guidance and they learn to go to Him ultimately for what they need especially as they become teens and young adults, they'll still come to you and ask you. When you sit, when you walk, when you lie down and when you rise, from sun up to sundown, as you do life with your kids, you bump them into God. I imagine many of you pray with your kids before they go to sleep, and that's great. That's a wonderful thing to do. As you eat meals together, before you send them off to school, pray with them. When you're interacting with, and and I have to confess, there's times where I'll start to walk out of my kid's room and Mariah or Evan will say, Dad, aren't you going to pray with us? Yep, sorry, be right there. Whenever you're interacting with your kids, anytime, the car ride, the waiting in line, washing the dishes, raking the yard, you can nudge your child's thinking towards God and His character. That doesn't mean you're only talking about God 24 hours a day. But as situations arise, you are able to discuss godly character traits that you want for their lives. You can discuss what they should be looking for in a lifelong mate. You can thank the Lord for all of His goodness and all of the details that you just experienced that day. And knowing how little time we have with our busy schedules and life going on all around us, it is imperative that we teach by example what is most important. To love the Lord our God in spite of what is going on around us. Now, one of the things that I have seen just in the last two years of being in ministry here, but over the course of doing ministry as a youth pastor as well, it's critically important for us by example to teach something that is important that God thought incredibly important. One of the things that we teach intentionally or by accident is what we think of God and his bride. I know many of you have suffered at the hand of divorce, and what I'm about to say is not to judge you or to make you feel badly. Sometimes life just happens to us, and we're left holding the leftovers. Sometimes we're not in a healthy relationship with God at the time and and we make wrong choices and, and you end up having to live with those choices. But knowing God's stress, teaching our children is extremely important. I want us to look at a couple other passages. Two different subjects. The first one, Malachi 2. In this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say... Why does he not? Because the Lord has witnessed between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? He was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. What was God seeking in the marriage union? A godly offspring. In the midst of divorce, children are far too often left holding the emotional and spiritual baggage of the parents. It's tr- if it's true that children typically get their view of God from their parents, divorce can rip their view of God to shreds. Many of you are very acquainted with what I'm talking about. And again, this is not to shame anyone here who's been forced into that situation. But rather, I'm begging you if you are married to consider the eternal cost of divorce. It has become far too commonplace even in the church. Your marriage is one of the details of life where when we sit, we walk, and we talk and our actions always speak louder than our words. One last thought in light of Moses' charge. Joseph took the reins after Moses died, and I want us to consider something here. Judges chapter 2, verses 7-10, through 10, it says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Herez, in the hill of country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gesh. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Just one generation and they didn't know the Lord or the work that he had done. It is imperative that we teach our children while they are young and in our home. God desires and commands that of you as parents in these passages. In, in Deuteronomy, it is mentioned over and over again to teach our children, remind them of the law, remind them of who God is, remind them of what he did. Most of A good portion of Deuteronomy is is Moses going through all the different things that he did. From Egypt to getting them out and to where he had brought them. Whether you've had biblical training or not, it is your responsibility. You don't have to be a good storyteller. You don't have to know the Greek or the Hebrew. You just need to be able to share your heart for the Lord your God when you sit with when you walk with and when you share your days with your kids. Share your failures and how God restored you. Share your fears and how God strengthens you. Share your hopes and the fact that your hope is in the Lord. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. You know, according to the Daily Mail, not necessarily the greatest choice of places I go for information, but there was a poll of 2,000 parents that was done. And the survey that they gave gave the top 10 reasons for not getting enough quality time with your family. The first one was myself or my partner work long hours. Second, we spend our evenings and weekends keeping up with the household chores. Three, the children are at school when I'm working. Four, the children are often watching TV. Five, myself or my partner work antisocial hours. Six, the children are often playing computer games. Seven, the children are at any age where they don't really want to spend time with us. Eight, the children are often out with friends. Nine, the children spend their evenings studying. And ten, we spend a lot of time at various sports or after school clubs separately. Out of those reasons, watching TV, gaming, hanging out with others, studying, and after-school sports were the main things that kept people from spending time with their children. Five of the ten. A good portion of the others were work, and you can't avoid work if you want them to be able to eat and have a house, right? Right? I want to challenge us within those five, watching TV. I didn't go to the statistics, but I know the statistics are high. It's like kids often watch six hours a day. How are we leading by example? When you come home from work, it's been a long day. I get it. You sit down in your recliner and... Get your remote, your kid comes, asks you a question just a minute, just a minute, just a minute. Or you got the newspaper or the magazine or whatever it is. I am not telling you the TV is evil. But what's most important? The current TV program or your child's heart? <coughs> Hanging out. Why don't your kids want to hang out with you? I, you know, I, I know most of you. You're pretty cool people. What's wrong with your kids and grandkids if they don't want to spend time with you? And now I know, I'm being facetious. Sometimes they just want to go out and hang with their friends. And I understand that. What about setting aside a day and you tell them a really difficult word? No. And you say, we're going to spend time together as a family tonight. You have all the rest of your week, you've got those other activities, you spend time with them, but tonight, no, you're spending time with me. After school sports, I enjoy sports. I play sports. I enjoyed playing all kinds of sports when I was young, and I was on a few teams. But I want to challenge your thinking In our society today, and in some areas, people are moving to and or creating a rural area that has superplexes for sports so that their kids can get on the cutting edge of sports so that they get a scholarship. One of my good friends was in that mode until he injured his knee and he got angry at God because he couldn't play sports anymore. All of it was out the window. I am not saying sports is evil. I enjoy sports. But if your chief end is to get them that scholarship so that they can get a good job, so that they can have a good life, your motives, I think, are slightly slanted. I'm not telling you don't shoot for a scholarship. I'm not telling you don't do any of these things. But if your time is so... Kept in that mode that you don't have time to teach your children to love the Lord their God. I believe your, your priorities are slightly skewed. And we could talk about various things, but parents, grandparents, we have all kinds of things that can pull us from our, our most important job. Lockwood is blessed to have elders with a focus on your families. And we're here to help you. To come alongside you in the journey of life. The elders recently suggested this as the vision for Family Ministries. To equip and encourage families to make their home a place of spiritual growth. That's our desire for you. And that is my goal as a pastor of Family Ministries. And I see this as a very appropriate, based on the passages we've looked at today, but back to the idea of time. If you come to church Sunday morning, that's one hour. If you come to Sunday school... That's two. If you're involved in a small group or your kids are in a one or a youth group, that's a total of three hours. With 168 hours, that's less than 2% of the time. You cannot and should not expect Lockwood to be the main force of spiritual training for your children. We are here to come alongside you, but it is your job. To teach your children to love the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and their mind. And in order to do that, they've got to learn it from a home that is warm, loving, and very intentional. Or as the passage said, diligent. Your parents have to be that way and use your time wisely. At this time, if the team will come, we'll have a song and then we'll have communion.